The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Well, it was, uh, it was quite a week. It was quite a week, and uh, it is an honor to be here with you today as we cap off our camp week, as we celebrate people who are being baptized and I'll tell you what, it, it, was, it was just an amazing, amazing example of God's hand and faithfulness um, right here at our church and in the lives of our students. So uh, if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> so for those of you confused right now, what we do in our student ministry is when we open up the Bible, we get excited. And so we cheer and go loud and get rowdy because we're going to hear from God's word. So that was that. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. If you're watching online, you can also follow along there as well. Uh, there's a place for you to t- take some notes. Uh, and so we're going to dig into this. Uh, but before we do, uh, I just want to just share as a word of encouragement, this, uh, like was just shared, this is a, a whole church initiative. This is not just a student ministry thing. This is a West Pines Community Church thing. And uh, just to see all, everyone come together. Uh, especially with, with what happened on Friday. If you hadn't heard, one of our buses was in an accident, uh, and every one of our students is okay and fine. Uh, but quite literally, we could, have, we could be having a very different experience this Sunday, uh, just so close to that. And God answered our prayers in protecting our kids and um, sending them out. So I'm grateful to be here on a day of celebration uh, with you. So with that in mind, let's pray, and then we'll jump into Matthew 13, uh, and we'll study this word together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. Father, thank you that uh, this week we got to experience you. Lord, I ask that right now as we open up your word that you would speak a clear and bold word to us. Right now where you're seated, right there in a moment of prayer in your heart, would you just make this your prayer? Would you just say, speak, Lord? Your servant is listening. Father, we want to hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to give you a little bit about this week and maybe fill in some of the gaps that uh, you saw in that video. Uh, This past week, we had students sent out all around South Florida. We had students serving at a variety of different places and uh, among populations that are hurting and needy, and it was a beautiful thing. Uh, We had some of our students go to a place called Glory House in Miami where this organization helps reach out to victims of one of the most evil things that happens today, of human trafficking. And some of our students were there and assisting and encouraging and doing what they could to be a blessing to that organization. We had some students serving foster care agencies and the employees that work there and spend their time caring for orphans. Uh, We had students uh, partner with a local church in Miami that's brand new, a church plant in Miami, and do a car wash in their neck of the woods and help invite people to their church as it's starting. It was just an incredible and beautiful week. And so I want to show you a few pictures that help encapsulate, encapsulate some of the hard work that our kids did this week. So check this picture out. Uh, there is one of our students hard at work getting some dreams in. Uh, this was, I think, like Tuesday by Tuesday. This is like the nature of it, okay? Uh, here's the next picture. Okay, another one. Fantastic. Uh, There's a pattern that you're going to catch on to, I'm sure of it. Uh, Go ahead and go to the next one. Here's an actual picture of work. Here we go. So that's us at Feeding South Florida where our students packaged thousands of pounds of food uh, that are then distributed all around South Florida. Uh, Here's another picture of something we did. Oh, 
again, it strikes again. So we have a group chat among our leaders. Our small group leaders have this group chat. And one of the things we do is we communicate important details on it, but we also uh, share and try and compete to get who can get the best picture of kids sleeping. So there we go. Uh, Here's the next one. This is us at the beach. That's our group. So 300 of us or so descended upon Fort Lauderdale Beach Park, and those poor souls who thought they were going to get a peaceful day at the beach had no, idea, had no idea what was coming. It's like when you go to a place and you see the buses unload, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Right? We were those people. And uh, we took over this huge chunk, and here's some of what we did at the beach. Uh, who doesn't love getting buried in the sand? And then one more picture for good measure. There you go. Okay. So we had an incredible week, uh, all, all of those kinds of pictures and sleeping moments aside. There were students who this week put their faith in Jesus for the first time. There were students, yes, that's something worth applauding. There were students this week uh, who just had an incredible experience of doing something courageous. It was like day one, and they're, they're scared because they don't know anybody in their group, and they're timid, and they're unsure And you see the transformation happen over the week of them come out of the shell, build lasting friendships. It was just an absolutely incredible week. Now, in order to put on something like Unleash Mission Camp, in order for our church to do that, here's what that has meant. It's meant months of planning, months of praying, over 100 volunteers to recruit and deploy, 40 brave individuals to essentially serve as house parents for teens for a week, right? Yes, Ah, let's go. It was many of you guys being willing to bring in some donations of things like cereal and Gatorade and all sorts of supplies that our students just absolutely devoured. Uh, It took some of you who stepped up and sponsored students who otherwise would not be able to attend camp. And today we're going to get to see baptized some students who were sponsored, who otherwise would not have been able to experience it, and they're going to be baptized today largely through God's work, through the generosity of our church. And so absolutely incredible. We've had businesses step up and say, hey, I'll donate. We had Chick-fil-A say, here's some sandwiches. Uh, We had Flanagan say, take some chicken wings for your... Just, we're absolutely amazed by how people stepped up. And I I bet you would probably think if you've been around here for a while, we've been announcing it for quite some time. It's a lot of energy and focus. Uh, We made multiple announcements about this thing. So it has taken a lot of work and a collective effort to make this happen. And a a healthy thing to do on the other end of it, a healthy thing to do today on Camp Recap Sunday is to consider why do we do it in the first place? Why go through all of that? Why the hours of preparation and the months of planning and all of the praying and all of the volunteers and all of the costs and all of the energy expended? Why all of that? And the reason why is because we believe that Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 is true. And that's what I want to do. I want to spend some time examining, meditating on this passage, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And so would you look at it and read it with me? Here's what it says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Now, I'll be honest, I've read this verse many times. And uh, over the years, this is one of those verses that I've just found myself glossing over until rather recently something stuck out about this verse to me. And it's honestly been something I've been thinking about. It's one of those verses that comes to mind often. And to, to really begin to understand it, we've got to first define an important term. It's the first few words of the verse. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like, so let's define what the kingdom of heaven is. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. We'll put it on the screen. 
The kingdom of heaven is the realization of God's righteous reign over his creation. The kingdom of heaven is this realization, the the coming of God's righteous reign over his creation. That includes us. Now, in the time period in which Jesus originally spoke this parable, in that time period, the kingdom that was prominent and the king that everybody knew was Caesar and Rome. So Rome was this great kingdom. Caesar was the king. He was in charge. And Jesus came representing and proclaiming a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom that was represented by a king who describes himself as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A king who is bent towards compassion and lifts up the lowly. A king who proclaims the truth and holds fast to what is good. A new kind of kingdom. And Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, he makes this clear. He says, the kingdom of heaven is what I came to proclaim and to usher in and to inaugurate. And all the time we see him say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he'll share a parable. So right here in this parable, I want to look at three characteristics of the kingdom that we learn from. Three characteristics about the kingdom of heaven, about God's righteous reign over his creation. What we learn about that from this one powerful verse. Here's the first one. Write this down. We learn about the hiddenness of the kingdom, the hiddenness of the kingdom. The first few words of the parable go like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's an interesting thought. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in, hidden in a field. Now, in this time, there was no Wells Fargo. There was no Bank of America, right? There's none of these banks, and so it was common practice for people to take their treasure and hide it in a field. This wasn't something uh, outlandish. This was something that was quite normal. So people would bury or hide their treasure in a field. And Jesus has this moment where he says to his listeners, he says, I want you to envision a field. And I want you to envision this in this field, there's a treasure and it's hidden. And he describes how one individual happens to come upon the treasure. This individual finds, he discovers the hidden treasure. Now, what's interesting about this is that uh, in an agrarian society, there were fields everywhere. They're very used to open lands. And so you would think that multiple people have walked by this same field. The owner of the field should know his or her field. And yet the people who have walked by this very same field either never saw the treasure that was hidden, or maybe they did see it, but they didn't see it as that valuable. Or maybe the owner, maybe he didn't know about the treasure, that it was there, or maybe he didn't see it as all that valuable. But this one individual, upon finding this hidden treasure, he renounces all that he has, and in his joy, he buys the field. This describes the hiddenness of the kingdom of heaven. Here's what this looks like when it plays out. Your positioning, where you find yourself, whether in your family or in a church, that it's possible to be positioned in an environment where the good news of the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed loudly. It's possible to be in a family or at a Jesus camp or in a church week in and week out that proclaims the message of the kingdom of heaven and miss the kingdom. It's possible to stand there and look at the very same field that man just looked at and miss the treasure. This describes the hiddenness of the kingdom of heaven, it's unexpected, and so heed the warning. Maybe for some of you here, you grew up in the church or you've been coming to church for quite some time or your family raised you in the church, heed the warning. 
the caution from Jesus. There is a hiddenness to the kingdom that is easy to miss. And this week we saw the hiddenness of the kingdom express itself in how God worked in the most surprising of places. If we were to have a conversation and dialogue about who we thought was the most, uh, most entitled, the most addicted to their phones and things that don't matter, if we were to have a conversation about which segment of society faces the most trouble, we'd probably be talking about the same people, teens. We'd say that. And some of that criticism and stereotyping may be warranted. But the hiddenness of the kingdom starts to express and expose itself when in surprising places you start to see sparks of treasure. That among a group of middle and high school students, you would begin to see students rising up and caring for the needy and in Jesus' name, loving the hurting. And in the name of Jesus, going out into dark places to shine light in doing a free car wash so that we might be a blessing to individuals who are caring for foster kids. That among those who might be considered immature and focused on themselves, that among them, the kingdom of heaven starts to surface. This is the hiddenness of the kingdom. The hiddenness of the kingdom started to expose itself this week when on Friday at an accident scene, where there was news coverage swirling because a school bus got into an accident, and that's big news. And ambulances show, showed up, and some students were taken away with some minor injuries, and as helicopters are swirling, and everybody's trying to get a story, the kingdom of heaven shows up in the midst of that accident scene as people are interviewed and sharing why those kids were on that bus and what they were going to do and why they were going to do it. of people saying, God protected us. And we were on a mission to go share and express how much God has loved us to our city. The kingdom of heaven is right there in front of us, but sometimes we miss it. And maybe you, maybe you, you've been positioned right by the field and it's hidden. Perhaps today is the day that you take hold of the treasure. That's the hiddenness of the kingdom. Here's the second characteristic of the kingdom that we learn. We learn the value of the kingdom, the value of the kingdom. Write that down. Now, the word that's described there in, in Matthew chapter 13 to describe the kingdom is that it's a treasure. Now, when you're walking down the street and you find on the sidewalk, if you find a stack of $100 bills, nice and thick, and you discover that kind of treasure, or to use the parable, let's say you just happen to pick up a bucket, and underneath the bucket happens to be this stack of $100 bills. Your response upon just finding this treasure is not to do this. It's not, i got to take care of some things on my to-do list, and then I'll come back, and I'll grab that. No, no, no. When you find treasure, you lay everything aside, and you make it your singular mission to take the treasure. That's what you do when you find treasure. When you see something of value, you take hold of it. No delaying. No, I've got to do this other stuff first. No, it takes the priority. Here Jesus describes the value of the kingdom by saying that it's like this treasure that's hidden in a field and that when a man finds it, he goes and covers it up. Now that can be kind of confusing to think about. Why would someone cover it up? Here's why. Because you do it at the grocery store or at the store when you want something. I do it. 
and we, want, we find something, and it's the last one, but we can't quite buy it yet, and so you go to the different aisle, and you hide it behind some other item, and you go do what you got to do, and you come back so that you can ensure that it's still there. You know what I'm talking about. This is a safe place to be open, okay? <laughs> this man finds this treasure, but he's in no position to acquire it because the field doesn't belong to him. And so he makes a decision to cover this treasure back up so that he can go back home, sell everything he's got, and come back and get the field so that the treasure can be his. He saw this treasure as so valuable that he was willing to go to extreme lengths to ensure that he could obtain and take hold of the treasure. Uh, this man gives us a clue into a principle that we see at work in a number of different areas of your life. You know this to be true, that the value you assign to something determines what you're willing to do to experience it. So if you see something is valuable, you will do all sorts of things in order to experience it. You'll forgo certain things or you'll do certain things in order to experience it. You see, on, on Monday night of the week of camp, we talked about the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, who was this morally upright man who knew the Bible inside and out. Uh, Nicodemus probably knew the Old Testament better than any person in this room. He was a teacher of the law, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. And Nicodemus, a successful, righteous, upright man, comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom unless you're born again. It's the hiddenness of the kingdom. And then we turned the page on Tuesday night and we came to John chapter four and we came across this story where Jesus meets a woman from Samaria and they meet at this well. And the woman comes with her watering jar and she's going to draw water from the well and Jesus has this dialogue with her and exposes her spiritual thirst. He says to the woman, in other terms, your soul is dehydrated and you need living water and I can offer that water to you. I have the kind of water that once you take of it, and you drink of it, you will never thirst again. And then Jesus brings up something from this woman's life. He talks about her relationship life. And he exposes the different wells that she's been running to to try and find satisfaction for her thirst. And he asks her a question that prompts this conversation about the five husbands she's had and how she's currently sleeping with a man that she's not married to. And in a kind and gracious way, Jesus shares with her, no man... No relationship is ever going to offer you what only I can give you. And he exposes those wells. And in a beautiful way, John the writer captures this moment where the woman who came to the well to draw water from it with her bucket, she leaves her bucket behind and goes back to her, old, back to her town to tell others of what she just experienced. And in this powerful symbol, she drops her bucket. She's found the living water. Now, we challenged our students to consider in their own lives what is it that they've been running to to satisfy their thirst? What sins have they been holding to? What buckets does God call them to drop, to leave behind and follow Jesus? And we saw this incredible moment. And the reason we would drop our buckets, the reason we would say, I'm not going to those wells any longer to find what only I can find in God, the reason we do that is because the treasure is that good. Because we found the value of knowing Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ and participating in the power of his resurrection. The third thing that we learn from this parable 
after we learn about the hiddenness of the kingdom and the value of the kingdom, now we learn how we can access the kingdom. We learn about the gates of the kingdom. The gates of the kingdom. Ancient kingdoms had gates. They were essential to the safety of the people. The way you would get in and out to ensure that uh, bad people, robbers, foreign nations, invaders wouldn't overtake your city, the gates were an essential place. And the question that we should ask, given the hidden nature and the value of this kingdom, is how does one get into this kingdom? And what I want to share before we dive into what is described here as the entryway into the kingdom of God, what I want to do is I want to describe two false gates that we often think this is what will get us in. You see, there's one false gate that we think will get us into the kingdom of heaven that will give us access to our relationship with God. And here's what the, what's written over this gate, fear-based compliance. And in this understanding, God is like this king who holds this terrible punishment over your head and as long as you comply with the rules and don't do bad things, then you won't get the bad consequence. And sometimes we can, out of fear, seek to try and comply to some rules so that we might escape punishment. But fear-based compliance does not lead to life. Another gate that sometimes we run to, it's not fear-based compliance. In this case, it's reward-based performance. And the best way I can think of describing reward-based performance is by going back to my middle school days when uh, at my school we'd have these assemblies, these dreaded assemblies for parents and the kids would love them. Here's what would happen. A guy would come in and he'd have all of these incredible prizes and he'd share with you, this can be yours. And then I'd get a catalog with like wrapping paper and cookie dough. <laughs> and if you just sell $25,000 of wrapping paper, you too can have a electric go-kart, Right? And with some reward that he's holding over us, the claim is if you do this, if you perform, then this reward is yours. And sometimes we believe that we can approach God and we can access his kingdom by performing to certain standards. That if we're good enough, the reward of heaven is ours. And the sad and tragic irony is that both of those gates the first that promises escape from punishment and the second that promises access to some reward, the sad truth is that both lead to eternal separation from God. Jesus in his parable shows us the gate, the way we can access a relationship with God. He says here that this man, he finds the treasure hidden in the field. He values it so much, he covers it up, then he goes and he sells all that he has in his joy. Out of joy, he gives everything he has so that he can buy that field. The motivation and the entryway into the gates of the kingdom of heaven is joyful surrender of all that we are and all that we have to Jesus. It's not out of fear of punishment, and it's not to perform so we get some reward, it is instead a joyful submission and surrender to Jesus of all that we are so that we might obtain the treasure that's worth more than anything this world has to offer us. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus says a very bold statement that really encapsulates this as well. It captures the heart of this. In Luke 14, verse 33, look at what Jesus says. So therefore... Any one of you 
who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I want to read that again. That was a bold statement, and you read that correctly. He says, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That is a bold statement. To say that if you do not say to Jesus, I am surrendering all that I have and all that I am to you. This isn't a 50-50 deal. I'm 100% in all of me. I'm surrendering to you. I'm trusting in you. You're my everything. That if you're not willing to surrender and renounce all that you have, you can't be my disciple. Now, why would anyone get in on that? That's, that's a tough ask. That's not, hey, if you do this, like, I've got this pretty shiny scooter. That is a hard sell. So why would anyone get in on that? On Thursday night of camp, we flipped over a couple of pages in the Gospel of John and went from John chapter 4 to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, Jesus does something miraculous. He feeds over 5,000 people with just a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And at this point, as people are satisfied and we're like, this was delicious. As people are satisfied and had more than they could imagine eating, everybody in the crowd is like, I can be about this, all right? I'm in on this Jesus thing. This sounds great. Sign me up. And then we get to the end of chapter 6. And Jesus starts saying things to the crowd about what it means to be a part of his kingdom. And he says things that are similar to this. That if you want to be my disciple, you've got to renounce everything you have. And slowly but surely, the crowds dissipate and they leave. Until all of a sudden, Jesus is no longer surrounded by a huge crowd of people that's all excited, rah, rah, Jesus. But he's surrounded by his 12 disciples. And Jesus looks at his disciples and asks them, what we called the ultimate question on Thursday night. Jesus looked at them and said, will you leave too? And Peter, the disciple, looks at Jesus and he says, where else can we go? You hold the words of eternal life. And they stayed. See, why would anyone be in on this? Why would anyone reorient their entire lives? I take this parable when he says the word all, he sells all that he has. I take that to mean all. So like his property, whatever animals he owned or whatever possessions he had, he sold everything to obtain this treasure. Why would anybody do that? Because the treasure's that good. Because they've been reunited with their heavenly father. Because they've discovered something worth even losing your life for. So the kingdom, its value, its hiddenness, and its gates teach us and demonstrate for us something about what God came to inaugurate and start here on earth. You know, in a moment, we're gonna celebrate baptisms together and we'll go out these doors and crowd under this tent and clap and applaud and celebrate as people declare publicly their faith in Christ. And baptism is really this powerful moment when a person declares that they've trusted in Jesus and that just as Jesus died and was buried, that they are put down underneath the waters to represent the death of Jesus. And then they're lifted up out of the waters to display and represent the resurrection of Jesus, the new life of Jesus. And so when we celebrate baptisms later, the, the individuals who are publicly declaring they're a follower of Jesus, they're not ashamed that Jesus has forgiven them of their sins through his death and, their, and his resurrection, 
that that declaration of baptism is this unmistakable moment where it's absolutely clear that our access to the kingdom has nothing to do with our compliance or our performance, but it has everything to do with the finished work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. It was all him. Baptism is not us identifying with our goodness. Baptism is not us trying to impress God and earn browning points. Baptism is us saying publicly that Jesus has done everything, that he has done everything that's needed to be done. He changed places with me. He has given me his righteousness. And in in return, he has accepted my sin and died for my sin and took the punishment for my sin. And today, we're gonna see some students get baptized And one of the students who's going to get baptized was a few months ago just hanging out in our student space at Waffle Wednesday eating some waffles. And this thing we do on Wednesdays after school is is, uh, one of the things we do to reach out to students in our community. Students from West Broward High School and Somerset High School come. And right there, I remember it clearly, this young man is there and someone invites him to be a part of our high school ministry. And so he starts coming and coming and inviting his friends. And then eventually he invites his family and they start coming on Sundays. And then he, he's able to go to camp. And so he goes and experiences camp. And as a result of God's work in this young man's life, he declared, I, I want to be baptized to tell the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. Someone who is eating waffles. Uh, a little while from now, we're going to get to see someone get baptized who's a friend of a friend of a friend who came to faith in Christ. And this is original friend. She started following Jesus and realized that this is good news worth sharing. So she starts inviting her friends and talking to them about Jesus. And then her friend comes to faith in Christ and they start following Jesus. And then they invite their friends to start coming. And this individual is the product of multiple generations of disciples of Jesus among high school students. We're following after him. That's the hiddenness of the kingdom of God showing up and evidencing itself in unexpected places. You know, it's possible for us to walk right past teenagers, to walk right by them, and to miss what God intends to do through our young people. And God is keen and really good at displaying his greatest work in the most surprising places to show that it's all about him. It's not about us. We're going to get to celebrate these baptisms together. And I wonder if some of you who are here right now, if this is your day where you need to be baptized, where as a declaration of your faith in Christ, this is your moment to declare in the most biblical way possible that you're a follower of Jesus by displaying that through baptism. Now, followers of Jesus, Christians, I want to encourage you in response to this truth From Matthew 13, this short little parable, I wanna encourage you to rediscover the treasure, to rediscover the treasure of the kingdom. Um, A few weeks ago, I was uh, in my room and I was clearing out some things and I came across this bin. And inside this plastic bin, uh, it's one of those bins that had sat in my room for a while and it was there for so long, you, you almost grow blind to it. You forget it's even there. And so I walk past this thing so many times, but here's this bin, and I open up the bin, and I start looking inside, sorting through some things, throwing some old things away, but I come across a series of love letters that my wife and I started sharing with each other when we were dating. And I'm, op- I'm reading these, and I'm like, nice, Justin, you've got game, man, this is good. I don't even remember writing that, okay? 
And then I, I, read, I read some other letters and I read uh, some things that she wrote to me. And though I've experienced this before, I read these, this isn't new information for me. This is something I was quite familiar, and I know my wife loves me, but reading those, again, it was like I was brought back to those warm, fuzzy feelings of new love, of something brand new. And in that moment, just reminded in a fresh way of the wonder of it. See, I wonder if for many of us, our experience of our salvation and our experience of our rescue is something that's so easy for us to tuck away in the corner and put in this little bin, to walk right by it and almost forget that it's there, even though it's so significant, it's so meaningful, it started everything, that we would do well to open it up and to look through the love letters and remind ourselves of a faithful God who pursued us and rescued us, whether you were seven when you gave your life to Jesus or whether you were 17 or 70. But that story of your rescue and salvation, that is a treasure. So would you rediscover the awe? Would you pray what David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 12, where David asks God, he says, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I pray that many of you, today would be a day where just the joy of your salvation, the fact that Jesus took you and picked you up, he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He rescued you. He brought you from death to life. His sin, your sins are forgiven that that rescue would just stir in you some awe as you remember the treasure. Uh, my wife, who's brilliant, was having a conversation with me the other day reflecting on something that took place in our home. We started to do this thing where our son Hudson, who's, who's two now, uh, we ask him to help us with various things around the house, which is always a comical experience. And so uh, the other day we were in his room and we're cleaning up in his room and I'm like, all right, buddy, here's this. Put it in the bin, right? So he's helping us, right? And uh, 10 minutes later, he finally gets it in the bin. Uh, and so sometimes we'll be cooking, and my, my wife makes amazing pancakes. It's kind of like a tradition. Hudson loves it. And so we'll say, hey, Hudson, you want to help Mama make pancakes? And my wife will literally hold his hands and, like, stir the bowl, right? Oh, great job. You're doing so well, buddy, right? And, and in these moments, right, and this is, this is where my wife began to share. She's like, you know, in these moments, like, we, we don't need Hudson. Like, we don't need his help. In fact, he gets in the way a lot of times. <laughs> Sometimes he creates more of a mess as we're trying to clean up, right? But it's our joy as parents. It's almost instinctual. It's our joy as parents to include our children in what we're doing, to share that joy with them. And she said to me, I wonder if that's how God feels. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. And when he invites us to help, Sometimes we're messy, sometimes we get in the way, but it's his joy to share his joy. And so he includes us in his kingdom activity. And so we have a heavenly father who looks down on broken and imperfect people and says, I wanna include you in what I'm doing, not because I need you, but because I get to, because I love you, because I wanna share in your joy and you get to be included in the kingdom activity of God. This past week, that's what we've been about. This entire week, we've been helping students realize that God has called them to kingdom work, to represent the values of his kingdom, to proclaim righteousness and truth and justice and mercy and compassion, to lift up the lowly, to look for the segments of our society and our culture that are maligned and criticized and thrown off, to show care. 
and we get to be a part, rediscover the treasure of being a part of the kingdom of heaven. My friends here who you haven't yet discovered the joy, you haven't yet discovered the treasure. Some of you, maybe you've been coming to church your entire life. Perhaps for you, this is the first time back in a while. Remember, the kingdom of heaven, there's a hiddenness to it. It's possible to be positioned right then and there and still miss it. That's why we need to be born again. God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And friends here who, at the invitation, at the invitation of your student, here because someone told you about it, whatever brings you here, friends, I want to invite you to discover and take hold of the treasure that is Jesus Christ, to find your hope and value in him to renounce all that you have and gladly surrender all that you are to King Jesus, saying to him, you are Lord, you're in control of my life, not me. I want to invite you to boldly proclaim that because on the Friday night of camp, we flipped our page over in the Gospel of John and we found ourselves in John chapter 13. And we read about this moment in the life of Jesus where he got down on his knees and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And his disciples, they were confused by this. They're saying, Lord, this is the work of a servant. You, you, we should be washing your feet. Why are you washing our feet? And Jesus shares with them this insight that what he was doing is a picture of a greater washing that they've experienced. That on the inside, they've experienced the cleansing forgiveness of his grace and love. They've experienced being made new and being made right with him. And so Jesus says, it is fitting that I wash your feet that I serve you in this way. Now you go and do likewise. And I wonder if for some of you, you need to experience the cleansing power of Jesus today to wash you and make you new. Being baptized won't do that for you. Baptism is this proclamation that we have been cleansed. Those waters don't have any soap in them. There's nothing magical about them. Those waters are simply a sign for us to proclaim that Jesus has cleansed us. He has forgiven us. We've found the treasure worth renouncing all that we have for. And so if you came today not expecting this to be the way that your day plays out, then I want to invite you to not just follow Jesus and have a moment where you turn to Jesus and confess him as Lord and call upon his name for salvation and say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and transform me. I want you to do that, but I also want you to be bold and courageous and proclaim your new faith in Jesus by stepping up and getting baptized today. Like was shared earlier, we've got everything you need. We've got the towel, we've got the clothes, we've got all that you need. So that the only thing that would get in the way the only obstacle that would keep you out of those waters is what you do with Jesus. Whether you've taken hold of the treasure that's worth renouncing everything and saying, I give you control, I'm all in, nothing back. I want to invite you to do that right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. That's why we do what we do, because of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. And if right now, in this quiet moment of reflection between you and God, 
if right where you are, you are ready to give your life to Jesus in this moment of prayer, then would you cry out to God and say, God, I need you. God, I turn to you. I admit my need for a savior. I come to you humbly and joyfully surrendering all that I am to you. You are the treasure worth giving my life for. Then right there, would you just confess? Would you confess that you believe in him? You've trusted in his death and resurrection in your place. Believe that he forgave you, that he did everything that needed to be done so that you can be made right with God. Father, thank you that heaven's gates are wide open. Thank you that you are the door, Jesus. You are the gate. And if anyone would enter by you, we'd be saved. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for giving everything for us. And I pray, Lord, for those who right now in this moment declared their faith in you for the first time and took hold of that treasure. I pray right now you'd give them the courage to be bold, to step up and step out, and to declare today publicly of their brand new faith in you, that you've changed everything for them and they're not ashamed to share. Jesus, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.